Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome to Between the Links. Your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Hope everyone had a great weekend. A lot to discuss as we are back on YouTube. Casey is back. All is well with the world. That will not happen again. I mean, Casey's vacations may happen again, but we'll figure out a way to get the shows up on on the tube in his absence moving forward. But now that the technical stuff is out of the way, it is time for this week's matchup. Our friend Sean Alshadi, the new champion of Between the Links. He's going to be watching this matchup very intently. (laughs) But uh, let us introduce the panel. We'll start with the man booing right now. The man who has become, he's almost become this show in a way. And he's still a little mad at me, I think. But I'm honored and grateful that he is back this week. My buddy, my pal, my colleague from MMAfighting.com. Jed Mishu, how are you, sir? Are, are we cool here? Are we, are we all right? Let's be clear. I wasn't booing. The fans were booing. Everyone was booing that nonsense, garbage, trash conspiracy that you effectuated on me last week. This week counts. It's on YouTube. It shouldn't count if it's not on YouTube anyway. We all know half of my appeal is the boisterous gestures that I make when I'm doing things. And I still gave Al Shadi that work. All of this is crap, and that man didn't want to rematch me. That's why he's not here today, and I have to beat some other no-name scrub to get my rightful title back. I'm excited for the opportunity, though. His words were, make them earn it, when it comes to his uh, his first title defense. But joining the panel for the first time this week is an MMA personality in his own right. He likes to play the ponies, if you will, in the sport of mixed martial arts and, do, and does well with that. And also you can find him every week on the Anik and Florian podcast. Happy to have the duck, Ian Parker, joining the program, a man who is no stranger to a good debate. How are you, sir? I'm good. I think Jed just uh, called me a scrub, so we're starting off on the right foot. I like him already. I'm good, man. I'm looking forward to it. Long time coming. You know, I always like uh, shooting the shit with you, bro, and I uh, look forward to today's show. It should be fun. It will be fun. And uh, there's a lot to get to, but let's begin with this past weekend because a lot went down in and out of the octagon. We'll begin with the in-octagon stuff. UFC Vegas 16 is in the books and in the main event, Marvin Vittori answered the door of opportunity, stepped into the cage a week earlier than he was supposed to to face the number four ranked Jack Hermanson and he walked out of the octagon with the biggest win of his career via unanimous decision. Jed, 
You win the blind draw this week. Vittori has been shouting from the rooftops for a while now that he wants these top guys. Steps in with the top five guy, goes the full 25. He gets the win. And now he wants the champ. He wants the rematch with Adesanya. I, I, I feel we're in agreement here that it's doubtful that happens next. But Jed, do you now look at Marvin Vittori as a legit threat to Adesanya in the middleweight title after Saturday? No. That was easy. Like, no, they they fought when Adesanya was a way worse fighter. Sure, Vittori's gotten better since then, but uh, what I watched Saturday was good for Marvin Vittori. He has been calling for a top guy. He finally got one, and he showed he's capable of, you know, prove that all of his kind of bluster is not without backing. That being said, I watched that fight and didn't think, oh, man, Israel Adesanya is going to lose sleep if either of these guys win. Adesanya feels firmly in control of, of the middleweight belt at this point. Uh, good for Vittori. He got a good win. Calling for, you know, the Izzy rematch is a little ridiculous because I think this is his only top-ranked win in the division. He definitely needs at least one more, even though Hermanson is was top five at the time. You know, Vittori will be a top-five guy, but he is going to need to do uh, a top five fight. And I think originally that Paulo Costa call out and the thing that Dana seems to be on board with feels like a really good next step. And if he beats Paulo Costa, then maybe we could talk about a rematch with Israel Adesanya. Uh, but until such time, no. And even if he does get that uh, crack again, it's, it's going to go worse for him than it did the first iteration. What did you think of Marvin Vittori's performance, Ian? Because you know, you, you sent me the video of your prediction on, on Anakin Florian. You picked Vittori to win via decision. That is exactly what happened on Saturday. Were you impressed with this performance? And if so, does that translate into, you know, maybe a title shot in 2021? Do you feel like he could be the guy that's that's hunting for gold sooner rather than later? Yeah, maybe if Jed uh, heard of me, he would have bet all three of those. And I predicted absolutely perfectly. But uh I respect Jed's opinion here. Do I think if you were to step in tomorrow against Adesanya and have uh, success against him? I don't, but let's let's kind of take this one step at a time and let's call it as it is. He beat a top five guy on short notice while training for a three-round fight, took a five-round fight. And I don't think he showed really, uh, I, I think he showed a ton of, I guess, evolution in his game, improvements. Being with Rafael Cordero, I think his game is only going to get better uh, Vittori has not hit his ceiling, not even close. We're seeing a ton of potential. He gets better every time. And the one place where Vittori really does well on the ground being on top, we saw it as more of a control fact submitted. And that was smart. I think we saw a higher level fight IQ from Vittori also. Uh, the durability factor was there. I think he's a threat in the division. To Jed's point, does he beat Adesanya tomorrow? No. If he were to fight Paulo Costa on the next card, I would pick Marvin Vittori. I think he's got more tools to win. I don't think Paulo Costa showed us anything of any level of improvement in his last fight. And I think Vittori is the real deal. I don't know who else in the division outside of Robert Whitaker, um, you know, will give Adesanya any issues. You know, the Jared Canyon hype train kind of went to the side with that last fight. It's just to see fresh blood in the division rise to the top sooner than later. You know, I've been saying for a while that COVID's either going to break stars or make stars. And in this situation, we're seeing another guy who's just built different. I think Vittori in 2021 gets past Paulo Costa, fights for a title. Uh, does he beat Adesanya? I agree with Jed. No, he does not. And do you feel like the Costa fight is the one to make here? I mean, I, you said it one step at a time. I feel I, – I'm not going to say it's a bridge too far. I don't think it is. But do you feel like the UFC is like, you know what? Let's give Marm what he wants because I feel like there's a lot of guys in this division who – 
have done more at 185, especially in the top 15 that have asked for the cost of fight that probably have earned it more than him. But do you feel like the UFC likes that idea? Do you think that's the direction they're going to go? I think there's a few other ways you can go. I mean, we got someone like Darren Till who's kind of, you know, recovering from an injury. We got a Kevin Holland versus Jacare fight coming up that you never know. You could put Holland, Marvin Vittori against each other if Holland comes out the winner and, you know, build that prospect, make that star shine a little bit brighter between one of the two. I'm just, I think Jen and I are both really speaking on Costa because if you go by ranking, who else is above Jack Hermanson that's available? You know, I don't think there is anyone above him in the ranking that's available anytime soon. So, in that case, I think it makes sense. Obviously, with the way the world is with COVID, anything could happen. For all we know, you know, the it just listen, uh, these matchups are hard right now. Obviously, I think this is one of the divisions that is probably has the least amount of depth within its elite, if that makes sense. You know, we get a lot of recycled fights. I don't think Dana was hoping that Whitaker beat Kanyer. I think he wanted a new guy, but how can you deny that? And we might not even see that either. Adesanya really might go fight Jan Blahovich, which I think doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the way Glover just performed. So I think Polo Costa, if it were to happen tomorrow, does make sense because I don't know who else is around above him ranking-wise that would. The reason I, I asked that, Jed, is because, like like you guys both sort of talked about, there is this looming factor, and, and Dana White talked about it on Saturday as well, Adesanya versus Blahovich, it seems like that's the direction they're going to go. So there is no real rush to like put Vittori up there towards the title shot. I mean, you got Whitaker. If you just want to throw him to the wolves, just throw him to Whitaker and see what happens. But I kind of think they're going to slow roll him a little bit more. I, I, it just depends on how quickly he wants to come back. Like my thought was he wanted the Chris Weidman fight. Chris Weidman's getting ready to fight Uriah Hall. Maybe the winner of that fight makes more sense, but I don't know. Do you feel like just throw him to the wolves and see what happens? Or should we slow roll a guy like that and get, let people get to know him a little bit more? I'm a little more on, on your side of things here. Not really because I think we need to let people get to know him more, but because the division is just about to be in a really weird place with Izzy moving up. Because, I mean, let's say Izzy goes up, odds on he will be the favorite in that fight uh, against Blahovich. So I think Blahovich, and we've talked about this, I think Blahovich does present like a actually interesting challenge for Adesanya. But let's assume he wins the title. And then what is next at middleweight? Because if he win, if Izzy wins the 205 title, it's full steam ahead on the John Jones thing. I think at that point, that's all all anyone has eyes for. And so then do they maybe go for an interim middleweight title? Uh, do they still just – do they make him vacate and to, to do the John Jones thing? Kind of There's a lot of balls in the air with how things seem to be trending. So we don't need to kind of create a, hey, we need to get a next title challenger up for Izzy. Uh, especially because Izzy, frankly, already has one. I, I think there's no wrong way to eat this Reese's, frankly. If you want to put Marvin Vittori in against Paulo Costa, which I threw out just because that was initially a name that surfaced and a name Dana is pro, I think that's fine. It's actually not my favorite fight because it is matching up a guy coming off a definitive loss, even if he is slightly higher in the rankings against this kind of surging prospect without uh, being a, a leapfrog directly to a title. I like the idea of a Derek Brunson fight. I know he is, uh, I think, going to be one spot behind uh, um, Vittori after the rankings drop uh, tomorrow just because of the vacation of Yo Romero, et cetera. But uh, Brunson's on a good win streak. He's a guy who is trying to work his way into title contention. And that's really where I view Marvin Vittori right now is he's on the outskirts oh, wow. of title contention 
just because the division uh, is is in a, a little bit log jammed right now. So I like Brunson. If you did Whitaker, totally fine. If you do Paulo Costa, no wrong way to eat this Reese's. He's a fun fighter. He has a bright future ahead of him, and any way we want to go is going to work out pretty well, I think. It was an interesting build to this card on Saturday. We talked about it on the show. It wasn't Jed and Sean Alshadi's favorite card of the year. In fact, they both said it was probably the worst card on paper of the year. It was unfortunate at times, especially on Saturday, because just before the broadcast set to begin, we lost multiple fights. Two were COVID-related. One was not. We're seeing more of these COVID-related scratches heading into UFC 256. More on that in a little bit. But despite the craziness before, it was a pretty entertaining fight night card, Jed. So when you left that event outside of Vittori, which fighter or fighter's performance stole the show for you? Like, who are you excited to see more of after Saturday? I think this is a pretty easy answer. There are only two answers that I could possibly give credence to. Uh, the first being uh, Jamal Hill, just because he was in the co-main event. OSB is a very well-known commodity at the division, and he handled that really um, just worked him. So obviously light heavyweight is a marquee division. They desperately are in need of new exciting fighters. So you can walk away thinking that, but I mean, how in the world is it not just Jordan Levitt stole the entire show on Saturday? Uh, people do kind of know who Matt Wyman is. KO slam in like 20 seconds or whatever the time frame was. He's He's got his whole weird persona anyway. He's delightful and stole my heart and the show on Saturday. And what say you who uh, stole the show for you? Who are you excited to see to see fight again? Is it, is it different than his answers? Is there anybody else that sticks out to you? I have a different answer than both than, than he does, but maybe you do as well. No, I'm just laughing because Jed shows very little emotion. He just said that Jordan Levitt stole his heart. I guess you just don't put baby in the corner and that really, uh, it really got him, got him worked up over there. I, I get it, bro. I get it. Between the split and the uh, double, double dirty dancing attempt. Uh, no, listen. How do you not love the monkey guy? Weird and different. Listen, you walk into a bar and that guy bumps into you. You're thinking you're going to kick the shit out of him. And all of a sudden, this flamboyant dude just picks you up and slams you on your head and then breaks out into a split. You know, it starts twerking on you or something. Yeah, you don't see that coming. And, and he's interesting, man. He's interesting. And to your point, true fight fans, no Matt Wyman. Everyone was kind of like, why is Matt Wyman still in the UFC when Joel Romero's being cut and Husia Formiga is being cut? And then this guy just gets slammed on his fucking head. Sorry, I don't know if you're allowed to curse on this show. I do that a lot, my bad. But uh, I think Jordan Levitt's progression is someone we should look at. I think Jamal Hill, of course. Listen, OSP is a name who's had success in the UFC, strike force between <laughs> 205 and heavyweight. And we know he always brings the fight. To see a guy off the contender series, face that BS suspension and come in and do what he said he was going to do. Very impressive, especially in a division to Jets point that really needs some stardom. I mean, for God's sakes, we're talking about Jan Blahovich finally, you know, is a new champion and we're not even giving him another 205 or to defend against. And Glover, who's like 67 years old, who I love the pieces is the number one contender. So yeah, a young rising star and Hill who did something that not many people have done to OSP is exciting. Marvin Vittori, obviously, is another guy. I'm trying to think if there was, if there was anyone else on that card that really uh, – I mean, Luis Smoka, I thought that was impressive. I think a lot of people have written him off after a while, kind of maybe use him as a gatekeeper in the division. But I always felt he was someone that had a high ceiling. He just didn't always play to his strengths. You know, we talk about a submission guy who all of a sudden now is kind of putting it all together with striking and finishing it in a very aggressive way. I was very impressed with him. I had him on one of my bets. So – those are really the main main guys. You know, obviously Jordan Levitt's going to be a story though without a doubt. 
No love for Ilya Taporia? Good God. Uh, what a performance good, that good, man you know had. What? Good call. So let me just touch on that real quick. I think, um, you know, this was a tailor-made matchup for him. I think everyone expected the match to be – look, when you first saw those odds, you were thinking, all right, if this goes to the ground, you know, Jackson's got a pretty good pedigree in jiu-jitsu. We saw him outlast that last one and win with Taporia. We're seeing a young guy who is learning very quickly, and he's putting it all together extremely well. Those body shots, I mean, just the way he was boxing, putting it all together, the combinations, it was – he's so far – he's years beyond his IQ for his age in this sport, without a doubt. So I definitely think he's someone to keep an eye on. You know, I don't want to downplay the competition there, you know, uh, but I would like to see a step up for him. I'm very curious to where he goes, but so far he looks flawless. He looks great. Good call there, Mike. Give me Taporia versus Andre Feely. Book it. Let's make it happen. That is the fight to make. I'm ready to throw that man to the wolves. But uh, for those who don't know, as far as the bouts that were scratched on Saturday, as of now, nothing on the Mavzar Evulev versus Nate Landwehr pairing. Man, that was such a, a really good main card opener. There's a big history between those two guys. Nothing on that front. Jimmy Flick and Cody Durden, they're fighting on December 19th. There's like 317 fights on that card right now, including Tyler Santos, who was supposed to fight Montana De La Rosa on Saturday. She's now going to fight Jillian Robertson on December 19th because Andrea Lee broke her nose. So sh- that fight from UFC 256 Saturday is no longer happening. So that is December 19th. But as far as this particular matchup goes, the first point... Goes to Jed Mishu by a nose. By a nose. He gets off to a good start, but we still have a lot of time left. I am excited to see where this matchup goes. We're just getting warmed up. Let's stick with the weekend. Let's stick with the big news out of the cage. We found out Friday night that the UFC and Jed Mishu's goat middleweight fighter, Yoel Romero, have parted ways, and the soldier of God is on to free agency. This one was very surprising, Ian Parker. Jed, I'll give you a moment to gather yourself before you talk about this. But Ian, when you found out that Yoel Romero was exiting the UFC, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I don't don't get it. Um, I I don't get it at all. This is not someone you could look at him and be like, yo, he's 42, 45, 56. Who cares? He still fights such a high level. And when you want to talk about using fighters that you know you're never going to give a title shot to again, but guys that present challenges, value on resumes. How do you not keep a guy like that around to build young stars? He still has a lot of a lot left in the tank. I didn't really see anything in that Adesanya fight. You know, I, you're going to blame him. I blame Izzy as much as I blame him for that lack of uh, activity. So why not go to the fight before that when he fought Paul Acosta and something that was epic? That was a fucking war. You know, you're telling me that of all the guys in the UFC that have lost their last seven fights, six fights, five fights because they brawl. And this guy's the one you release. I don't really understand that. It's it's crazy to me. I still see such value in him. Like I said, being imagine this guy is your friggin' gatekeeper. I mean, look, it's just man at one eighty five. Imagine like if you have Kevin Holland versus Romero and he wins, or or again Marvin Vittori. Back to Jed's point, you know, this is where you build guys, and you guys like Romero. And if Romero beats them, that just means that he is still able to fight the elite at the top. Um, out of all the cuts that I've seen so far and what supposedly is coming out of the 60, this one made no sense to me whatsoever. And I think if Bellator does not pick him up, that also makes no sense because I'd love to see him fight someone in Muzasi, without a doubt. Jed, what say you, my friend? I'm sure Friday was a, was a rough night. Maybe you poured a, an extra cocktail or two. What did you think of the news? Uh, I mean, I think the news is 
stupid and terrible and pretty predictable. Yo Romero is at worst one of the five best middleweights on the planet. I think he is probably the second best middleweight on the planet even right now. Sure, he's 45, but he's 45 going on 25. Like the man is an alien. He's the most unbelievable athlete I've literally ever seen in my entire life. So, and I I think he has an argument to having beaten Israel Adesanya. I don't think he did upon rewatch, but I think the argument is there. And if you go back and rewatch that fight, or if you just quickly look at the stats for all of Israel's fights and then look at for the Romero fight, you'll see just a cataclysmic drop-off because he clearly fought him the best. So it's really stupid that he's gone, but I think it's pretty foreseeable that he's gone. Like I said, I think it's instructive. He is gone. Let, I mean, let's just be clear. He's gone because his price tag is high and the UFC doesn't view him as a value add anymore. And the reason they don't view him as a value add is because they don't, they think his time fighting for titles is done. Um, which I guess probably it is. It'd be difficult to see him getting another middleweight title shot unless something like a Marvin Vittori managed to to snake the belt away. And even then, they're probably not inclined to have him fight for the belt again. <laughs> His price tag is high, and they can replace costly fighters with cheap labor that comes in off the contender series. And Dana basically said that. I mean, he said, hey, well, our roster's bloated. We're going to cut 60 people. Those 60 people getting cut aren't the people coming in making 10 and 10 off the contender series. The reason their roster is bloated is because they're signing four, five, six people every other Tuesday off the contender series. The people that are going to get cut are people like Yoel. They're the people who have been around a long time. By nature of their tenure in the UFC, they're making more money than your average guy off the street. So they cost a little bit more. They're not a huge value add from a name brand standpoint. Uh, and they don't have any actual title aspirations at this point, at least from the UFC's point of view. I think you're going to see a lot of older fighters now uh, get let go sooner than we previously have. And, you know, Anderson Silva, whatever we want to say, we want to pretend like they let Anderson Silva go because they felt bad that he was getting knocked out. We talked about this a lot. They let him go because he costs a lot of money and they don't see him adding enough to them anymore. Same with Yoel. And I just think you're going to start seeing that a lot more. And it's interesting that Bellator is at least saying they're not in the market for these fighters because they should be. I mean, Yoel Romero, Anderson Silva, they have a lot to offer fans of the sport. And so I hope that they land somewhere and maybe they land somewhere and the two of them fight each other. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, more on what this all means in a moment. Um, but first, Jed, I mean, like you said, Yo Romero's last fight, his last fight was for the belt against Adesanya. And yes, for, for the casual viewing eye, it wasn't the most aesthetically pleasing fight of all time. But you and there's a big percentage of people out there who thought Yo Romero won that fight in March. And I was not one of them going back and watching it. But be that as it may. Do you feel like Romero at 43 years of age with three straight losses and nothing in the blowout variety at all? Like a lot of people felt like he won the second Robert Whitaker fight. I, I, I would say more people would say he, he did, did win than he feel. did. He won. <laughs> the only three people who didn't were the people who judged that fight. Like he very clearly beat Robert Whitaker the second time. I think he beat Paulo Costa when they fought, but I'm so willing to admit that was very, a very close fight. And so that's, I'm not upset about how the decision went. If that went five that evening, I think I think Romero definitely probably gets the finish over Costa, 
Uh, he absolutely beat Whitaker their second time. Like I said, the night of, I thought Romero beat Adesanya, but I was viewing it at the time certainly as a Romero fan and definitely a little bit of, well, look at how shorts Adesanya is because he was super uncomfortable that whole fight. Like he got hit by one right hand and never entered punching range again and just tapped Romero on the leg. And by nature of that, upon rewatch, I do think he caused more damage and deserved to win the fight. But is he coming out afterwards and trying to talk a super big game like he didn't get totally neutered by the mere threat that Romero presented to him was insane. Romero's, I think, definitely the second best fighter in the division. And so letting the second best fighter in the division walk away for literally nothing is categorically insane. I feel like once that news dropped on Friday, like every promoter should be on the horn with the cow brother saying, how can we get this man on the roster? Because he's just so marketable despite his age and, you know, three losses in a row. It's kind of like getting a bunt single in baseball. You view it for however you want, but still, if you go back and watch those fights, they're all very close, but. Where would you have to have Corey Anderson (laughs) fight for the frigging light heavyweight title? Yo Romero would feed Corey Anderson his friggin' lunch right now. Like, yeah, that man you can, can have fight him go to 205. Right heavyweight and is a way more interesting challenge than anyone on Bellator's roster right now. Like, that is, give me, like, like Ian said, give me Musasi Romero all damn day. Give me Romero versus uh, Nimkov, or God forbid, if yeah. Corey Anderson can somehow find a way to win the title. Like, yeah. it's nonsense that Bellator doesn't want the second best middleweight. In the world. And where does he end up? Where do you think he ends up when this is all said and done? I'm hoping for fight circus. <laughs> what do you think, Ian? Well, supposedly uh, PFL is not interested. Bellator is not interested. So maybe 1FC and he can go fight Vitor Belfort. I mean, I don't, I don't even know who else at this point would be able to meet his price tag. You know, I, I don't get why Bellator wouldn't be all over this right now. 205, let him go to 205. You know, we've been talking about seeing Romero at 205 anyway. This is the perfect opportunity. Let him go fight a Corey Anderson. You know, let him go fight Bader. I mean, it's um, he's a name that will get people from the UFC to watch Bellator for those that aren't just hardcore MMA fans that love MMA on Thursday, Friday nights. You know, it's to me, it's insane. Um Maybe he was, listen, he may have been also out negotiating himself. Maybe he valued himself way higher. I don't know. But for Bellator to spend money on Corey Anderson to overpay Phil Davis and Bader and not give, say they're not interested in Romero, I, that's, that's bullshit. There's no way. that Maybe they're building this up to like a big WWE surprise. Like uh, they have Muzasi in the ring cutting an interview and a guy with a hoodie comes off and goes, I love you. You know, in the background, all of a sudden Romero shows up and the lights hit. Sting's fucking music comes on and Romero pops out with a baseball bat. I don't know. But uh, to me, Bellator is the only place for him to go at this point. That makes sense. Bellator has done the the hidden fighter. I know. With, 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 with Bonner. Oh, God. You saw it under the mask, though. He looked like uh, yeah. Daniel yes. Stern as the wet bandits in Home Alone. I know. The the, what, what a reveal that was. What was it, Justin McCauley, right? Mike, let me just He knows your family. (laughs) Like, Justin, I could see you, bro. We know it's you. You texted me that you were here. I know. But but we know it's you. Like, five people in the world even know who that is. So (laughs) Bonner Bonner was like, Tito, who is this? Yeah. Yeah, Wait, Tito, (laughs) who who is this right here? Yeah. (laughs) Tito, who's this guy? Mike. 
I got you. just so we're clear. There's an alternate history or like a different universe where Yo Romero is on like a 12 fight win streak right now. His last three fights we already talked about. The loss before that was also the super contentious decision loss to Robert Whitaker. Like they just let go a guy who in a different world could easily be like what it would be like 19 and one like have the same record as their current champion. This is it's pretty bananas. wild. Pretty wild. It's if, awesome. If Chris, <laughs> if Chris Lee was judging the first title fight between Romero and Whitaker, you're right. You're right. Cause I thought Whitaker clearly won the first fight. Um, even on one leg or whatever that was second one, totally different. But, uh, last thing on this before we move on, cause you guys both made interesting points about the roster cuts and we've seen some, we've also seen some interesting matchmaking over the last couple of weeks. One of which Anthony Pettis versus Alex Morano on December 19th. And the other, we found out on Saturday, Dominic Cruz versus Casey Kenny. And now those really stuck out to me. And it was kind of wondering why these fights are happening. I like both of them. But after I heard Dana White reveal this news about 60 fighters being cut, I was like, all right, I, I think these matchups make a little more sense. Maybe they are tied to this roster trim in some way. Do you feel that way, Jed? Like, are you looking at this as if Anthony Pettis, Dominic Cruz, and some of these other former champions who have been up and down aren't victorious in their next fights, that this is it? Like, and let me just say, I was not told any of this, but this is just like an immediate thought I had. Is it? Are these guys in a way with this roster cut coming, are they fighting for their jobs right now? Uh, some of them probably are. I don't think specifically those ones. I mean, I just find it hard to believe that Anthony Pettis will get cut uh, just given kind of his history, where he's at in his career, and just how exciting of a fighter he has the potential to be. Uh, Dominic Cruz, very different conversation. I think that they could potentially, I could see them taking the tack of, well, Cruz needs to retire, so we're just not going to offer him any more fights because we would booth. Though that would be an interesting circumstance for them to basically force somebody out of fighting who is employed with them in another aspect. That that hasn't really happened before, uh, at least not to my knowledge. Um, well, I mean, I guess didn't they, maybe they did that with Randy? I don't remember. That was a while ago. As far as like uh, the loser leaves town match, that would be great. Like I. Frankly, these roster cuts would be a lot cooler if Dana just said that. It was like, hey, this is a pink slip derby fight. The loser will no longer be employed by the UFC. Uh, it would just be really fun and different. Um, it would be horrifying probably and maybe not great business uh, or maybe not being a great boss. But it would make me a lot more interested in a number of these random fights because I won't lie to you, Mike. You know me, an honest guy. Shoot, I'll shoot you straight. I do this for a living. This is this is my job. I literally write a column every day about fighting. When the Anthony Pettis Alex Morono fight was announced, I had to like seriously think about who Alex Morono is. I had to be like, wait, who is that? Is that the guy who got got by Chaos Williams? Okay, why the hell is that fight happening? And I'm a dude who watches fights literally – I watch more than 99.99% of the population. And so on that note, like, no, this is a terrible fight. But beyond it, I mean, maybe it is tied to it. I think not, though. Ian, what do you think? And also, some of these guys, let's just say, you know, throw out like the Anthony Ivies of the world, who may already be on the cut list, but let's just say they give him another fight. Does this change how – fighters will approach these fights now do they are they almost like contender series fighters in a way like 
because of this purge coming, do they change their approach? Like, we got to impress the bosses here. This isn't just about wins and losses. This is about keeping my spot on the roster. If it takes the threat of losing your job to fight that way in the UFC, then you don't belong in the UFC to begin with. I think a fight like Jay Collier versus uh, my buddy John Vellante, that could have been a pink slip, pink slip match. Vellante's lost a bunch, and you know Collier being this new heavyweight <laughs> phenomena, um, to say the least. You know, I, I don't think anyone would have lost sleep if either one of them gets caught. Although both them put on a hell of a fight, you never know. I think the Anthony Pettis fight for him. It's weird. He just beat Cowboy Cerrone, and now he's beat, fighting a guy that just got smoked by Chaos Williams. He said it was just an opportunity he couldn't say no to, which means I can beat this guy. They're going to pay me my same rate. Why would I not do it? And for Murano, it's if I lose, I'm probably getting caught because to Jed's point, people like Jed who do this every single day, like myself, who know the sport inside and out, aren't as familiar. I mean, we know who he is, obviously, but the same regard as Anthony Pettis, clearly not. So I think if Murano loses badly, I think he's gone. Casey Kenny versus Dominic Cruz. This is one of those fights where Casey Kenny is going to either get catapulted into stardom or Dominic Cruz is going to be talked about as an epic legend that just doesn't go away and still has it because this is a very weird matchup for Dominic to take against a young guy who keeps coming forward, who is shown to be a very well-rounded fighter. And, I don't know what Dominic has to gain from beating. I, I hate to say a, he's not a no-namer, but again, a guy that everyone does not know. I don't think that's a loser-leaves-town match at all. I think with Dominic, to Jed's point, maybe they say, hey, look, if you lose to Casey Kenny, you're never getting a title shot. We're not giving you a big name anytime soon. We love you on the mic sitting next to John and Joe and DC. Just We'll pay you. Go do that. If he gets destroyed, that's probably the case there. Otherwise, you know, the pink slip concept, not terrible. Not a bad idea. That is a contender series feel. And I think for some guys, if that's what it takes to kick them in the ass to go believe it all out there and not just sit there and do nothing during a fight and then complain like, oh, I got to be better next time. No, be better now. You're in the UFC. What the fuck are you waiting for? This is it. You worked forever and a day to get here. There are guys that waited years. Look at Parker Porter has been doing this for how long? What, 12 years, right? Took his short notice fight, got walloped, comes back and wins as a big underdog. Dude stepped up. Other guys got to do the same or they're going to get cut real soon. Yeah. And, and, and kind of what the, the whole pink slip thing is, I definitely don't think if Casey Kenny loses Dominic Cruz, he's getting cut. And even on the other side, I don't think Alex Morano is going to get cut if he loses because Alex Morano has won four out of his last five and the chaos Williams fight. He took on like, th- like a week's notice. Cause he was supposed to fight Diego Lima on that card. So going in there and staying on the card and fighting a, a, a guy that nobody knew outside of like Detroit, Michigan, was a yeah, very dangerous also, fight. He also lost to Jordan Meehan this decade, which is not a good look. Nobody <laughs> wants to lose to Jordan Meehan in the recent history. That's, that's funny. Stay with us at MMA Fighting for all this craziness, the cuts, releases as it all unfolds as we move ahead on this episode of Between the Links. The point for round two. Quack, quack. Ian Parker is on the board. We are tied at one. That was a fun round. I can't wait to see how the rest right, of this goes. goes. Key, isn't it, Mike? Yep. How dare you? How dare you? But uh, let's move ahead to this Saturday night. The UFC's final pay-per-view event of 2020 goes down. UFC 256. The card looks much different than it did a month or two ago. But the flyweight title is on the line in the main event. Davis Figueredo defends against Brandon Moreno. Both fighters will break the record for the fastest turnaround for both champion and challenger in UFC history. After having just competed and both got first round finishes at UFC 255 a little over two weeks ago, 
I will say, and if you didn't know this, I reported this on Friday night, there is a contingency plan in place in case something goes awry. Manel Cape, the former Ryzen Bantamweight champion, is the backup fighter. And what a crazy freaking story that would be. He's had a bunch of fights verbally agreed to, signed on the dotted line, booked on cards. They all keep falling out for one reason or another. His first UFC fight could be for a title. But this title fight right now is very interesting. I'm knocking on wood. I don't want to see anything happen to either Figueiredo or Moreno, but there is a plan in place. You got Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira in the co-main event. Hanada Moicano versus Rafael Faziv. Kevin Holland versus Jacare Souza. And Junior Dos Santos versus Cyril Gan. That rounds out the main card. Prelims are really solid as well. We did lose a couple of fights due to COVID. Angel Hill versus Tisha Torres. Carl Roberson versus Dalcha uh, Lagiambula. That is off. Uh, rescheduled for December 19th, I guess. But there are supposed to be two other title fights on this card, too. But anyways, Jed Mishu, I'm rambling here. We talked about this card right after UFC 255. We even flirted with the idea of having December 19th's card be the pay-per-view instead. Of course, we lost the main event of that card. But let me ask you, has this card, this 256 card, has it grown on you over the last couple of weeks? Do you like this one a little bit more? Is there just a few days away from it? I don't know that it's grown on me so much as it's gotten better and the weekend after's card has gotten worse. And so this looks better by comparison because when we discussed this previously, that was the whole concept is that 256 is like a fine fight night card, but not a good pay-per-view. Whereas the subsequent week, uh, the December 19th card that's he- that was supposed to be headlined by Leon Edwards as Hamzat Chimeyev, that card was like a really really great fight night or like actually a pretty decent pay-per-view and we had discussed how if you put both of these events on pay-per-view the the second one would just outsell 256 so why is 256 going to be the one that's on pay-per-view i think that now the weekend afters card uh i guess vegas 17 i think is what it will be uh vegas 17 is weaker it lost the main event um and this card picked up the kevin holland uh jack ray fight pretty good um i mean granted all of this does still have to be taken with a major grain of salt though because yeah this card is this way right now but any any number of fights could leave this even up to saturday where the friday uh covid test could kill three fights on on the evening and then suddenly it's it's only an 11 fight card and maybe we've lost the co-main or something like that knock on wood don't want any of it to happen but overall this is a, a good fight night card a poor pay-per-view or a middling at best pay-per-view but i mean i'm gonna watch it i'm probably gonna have fun there are some really interesting good fights on it and you know any of these fights could at least certainly be worth my time but i still think this probably isn't what we would normally consider to be a pay-per-view quality card well ian we got jed's take on this UFC 256 card. What are your thoughts on it? Is is this one that's grown on you? Have you always liked it? What do you think of it as we're just days away from it? Huh. <clears throat> I think everyone's been looking more towards the 19th and kind of forgetting about this date. But I think now, you know what? The way this year has been since COVID kind of happened, everything's been getting piecemeal together. And we've been getting surprised kind of nicely. You know, last week's card, I don't think anybody was ranting and raving about it. And we saw some really uh, great fights, some epic finishes, and you know, for this one, for me, the co-main event is very intriguing. It's interesting to see where Tony Ferguson is mentally. Well, mentally, we know he's in outer space. But in regards to bouncing back against uh, that loss to Gaethje, and I'm curious to see if Oliveira is going to rise to the occasion. You know, in that last fight, I said he had to finish Kevin Lee. 
to really cement himself because he's been taking a lot of fights, but against guys really, uh, let's just say not so highly ranked in the division to be respectful towards the fighters. This is the one that he needs to really establish himself as a contender. If he goes out there and submits Tony Ferguson, look, you're talking about the next title contender without a doubt. I think that brings a lot of value. And I think this one 25 pound championship, I haven't been as excited for a fight like this in a while, in, especially in this weight class. I think you got two guys here, especially one in the champ who looks like a comic book villain and he fights like one and he hurts people. And we haven't seen anyone carry that power in that weight class. And I think uh, if he goes in there and does it again, the UFC could really get behind him and market the hell out of this guy. So what once was a pay-per-view that I think could be a somewhat forgettable. I think now we got a couple of fights that even, you know, listen, Junior Dos Santos is on the card against Ganya, who again is another guy who I think is just built different in regards to fighting someone who's getting an opportunity because of COVID to fight a big name to get on his resume. There's some value here. And I think with the co-main, the main, the way it is uh, with the momentum that the champ 125 is carrying. I like it. I'm a fan. I'm going to be watching for sure. All right, and let me go back to you. One of the things we like to do as we preview these cards is we like to take a, a, a little bit of a deeper dive into these cards. Like last week, Casey said it on our preview show, and I know Jed Mishu thought this fight was the way to go too. We look at the, like the under-the-radar fight that we it's just kind of weird. It's just kind of out there, but we know it's going to deliver. And last week, it seemed that John Vellante versus Jay Collier was that fight, and it turned out that it delivered as such. What fight on this card really sticks out to you that no one's really talking about that, that could – I don't know if it's steal the show is the right word, but could be much better than advertised. No one's stealing the show with that, with this co-main and main event. I got to be honest. I don't see anyone, you know what? Look, fight fights fly under the radar all the time, but you know, I think that happens more often when there aren't such uh, how do I, how do I say this? You know, like, how do you really think about a whole lot of other people when Tony Ferguson's coming back fighting against a guy with a submission game like Oliveira? You know, how do you even shine that spotlight in a way when you got a guy in Davison figure out who carries the power and just doing what he's doing? I got to be honest here and super candid. This means give a point to Jed. I haven't even thought about that, to be honest, because I've just been way too diving deep into these two fights, especially on a betting standpoint. You know, and that's what I do. And it's just uh, to me, it's look, did I think that Collier and and Volante was going to be a fight that was going to fly under the radar and surpass expectations? I think the answer is no, because I think everyone had really low expectations. I thought it was going to look like a hungry, hungry hippo situation, like Bebop versus Rockstead and the Ninja Turtles, you know? And what I was hoping for was a war against guys that clearly don't give a shit about what they look like. They are more than happy to fight against another guy that should be nowhere near this weight class. You know, Volante should be at 205 where he does well, and Collier should be wherever he came from at this point. I don't even know how many weight classes he jumped in such a short period of time. But, um, you know, that fight surpassed because I think the bar was just so low, you know, to be honest. And was that really such a technically sound fight? Of course not. We're just shocked they were able to be breathing past the first round, you know, with the way those guys come in sometimes. And I hate to say that because John's a friend of mine, but it is what it is. I think this this card is going to be overshadowed very heavily by the co-main and main. And if anyone steps up, on the prelims and has the opportunity to take advantage of that limelight by all means. Cause I can't give you one at the moment. Jed, what is, uh, what's your Mishu pick of the week? You, you haven't really steered us wrong yet. There's gotta be something that sticks out to you. Is there not? I know, it's Cause I'm a genius. I'm, I'm always right <laughs> about the stupid fun fight. Uh, look, I, I will echo what Ian said. I mean, the top two fights here, if, if they 
survive to Saturday night. Knock, knock on wood, that happens. Uh, those are one of those will be your fight of the night, almost guaranteed. So we're not really talking about the undercard fight that's going to take fight of the night because I think that's just locked up. But you know, the undercard fight that people aren't looking past or, or, or aren't looking to or are looking past or think that, you know, uh, they have low expectations and can essentially under promise and over deliver. I got two uh, <laughs> for this card. I mean, one, it's, you can never go wrong with bad heavyweight MMA. I mean, you can go really <laughs> wrong with it like a lot. Like it's, it's a bad life choice to just want to watch bad heavyweight MMA, but it's usually pretty funny. And uh, Sergei, Sergei Spivak, uh, Jared Vandera, Vandera uh, is probably going to be bad heavyweight MMA, but you know, kind of worth it. But as far as like the undercard fight that I I think is actually going to be total gangbusters is Billy Quarantillo, uh, Gavin Tucker. I mean, Tucker. Both of these guys are like really good prospects. Quarantillo's on a hell of a run right now. Uh, he's coming off the uh, finish of looking at it, Kyle Nelson. Prior to that, the Spike Carlisle fight, which I think we talked about uh, ahead of the Quarantillo fight last time. And then uh, Gavin Tucker uh, coming. He has – is he undefeated in the UFC? Hold on. I need to look him up. But uh, I know that he's his last few performances, really tremendous grappling and, and just a really exciting young guy with a lot of promise. So for me, that that's one of those fights that both these guys are going to come in. They're going to be hungry. They're going to get after it. And you're probably going to get some scrambles. You're going to get throwing shots on the feet. It's just going to be a really good back and forth. So I'm really interested in that fight. Tucker's three and one in the UFC. His one loss was to three Rick Glenn, which was was a wild upset. No one really saw that coming. That was a crazy fight, but uh, definitely a prospect to watch out of Canada. Last thing before we move on, it seems pretty academic at this point that if Davis and Figueroa wins on Saturday, he is unquestionably the fighter of the year. He'll be four and oh, wins the belt, defends it twice in three weeks. This is a no brainer. What if Brandon Moreno wins on Saturday, Jed, if Brandon Moreno goes in there and becomes champion, he'll be three and oh, beat Formiga first round finish in a number one contender fight against Brandon Roy Val, and then becomes champion three weeks later. Where is he on your list? If he wins on Saturday. So I wrote about this for the site uh, this past weekend in the Hot Tweets column, so you can go check that out. Uh, you're definitely right. If uh, if Figgy Smalls wins, especially if he wins impressively this weekend, he's your fighter of the year, and that's unquestioned. Um, it'll be unanimous, frankly. Like Nobody won't have him just because of how 2020 has looked. If Moreno wins, I at that point, I think the only person who I maybe is maybe beats him is Jan Blahovic. Um, I, those would be the only two people I'd be choosing between. And I, you know, I, when I wrote about it in the column, I said, yeah, Hamza Chimeyev obviously is the breakout fighter of this year. And if Kevin Holland wins this weekend, that's five wins uh, in 2020, which is certainly commendable. Uh, but context matters. And it, I am almost, it's going to be a really rare occurrence like last year with Jorge Masvidal, where I'm going to choose a fighter who isn't fighting for titles to be the fighter of the year over a champion who has put together a, a couple of wins. So, you know, I could see a little more leeway just because there hasn't been, you know, neither of those guys, Blahovich or Moreno, would have been defending titles. They won the title and had other good wins. So maybe you can 
you know, if you want to justify or, or argue for sneaking in a Kevin Holland or Hamza Chemaev. But for me, it's a two-horse race if, if Moreno wins this weekend between him and Blahovic. I still think I would pick Blahovic over Moreno uh, just because, I mean, the two wins, I'd think flyweight is a better division, frankly, than light heavyweight. But I, I think that Blahovic's becoming the champion kind of means more, frankly, because of it's a marquee division because of John Jones and you know vacating the title and all the other things that portend. So I still think I'd favor Blahovic, but I'd have to think on it long and hard before we do our year in voting. Ian, what do you think? If Brandon Moreno wins the title on Saturday, is he the fighter of the year? Or if not, is he at least in the top two or three? You journalists are so adorable with this fighter of the year stuff. I don't even know that was a thing, to be honest. I thought we'd just uh, give guys credibility before they are in each division. I, no, I think Jed spoke on this pretty well. Listen, uh, Figgy Smalls, is that what we're going with? I like that. That's that's cool. Um, yeah, look, you know, with 125, here's my only – I mean, you got to do it. Guy would be, what, he'd be 4-0, wins the belt, you know, defends the belt, wins the belt three weeks late. I mean – it's tough. Again, he is somebody that can carry this division on his back, and I think he could even go up a weight class and do some serious damage without a doubt. If Moreno wins, here's my only issue with getting him fight of the year. I totally disagree that his fight with Brandon Royval should have been a number one contender when he was the number one contender and Royval was ranked 11. I kept saying I thought this was a ridiculous statement and a ridiculous um theory behind that because everyone was so big on Roy Volley after beating Kai Kara France and I'm sitting there going like why is no one giving Moreno the credit he deserves for who he's beaten higher in the division in my opinion that was stupid that Moreno had to fight someone at that rank who was dangerous because you don't see that in any other division coincidentally I'll eat my words because that just happened with Vittori and Jack Hermanson in regards to rankings um I think if Moreno pulls off this upset He's got to be considered. I think Jed's got a great point with Jan Blahovich. I think doing what he did and now being the new face, well, face of the division for now, I think that's a pretty big situation there. He wants, obviously won some big fights, huge turnaround in his career. But, yeah, if Figueredo does this, there's really no one else chasing that that race, not even close. I mean, you know, you want, I would love to – if Rod Whitaker somehow was fighting for a title right now, I would say he's close after beating Till and beating Kanye the way he did it. You know, uh, Hazmat Shemaev, I, I wouldn't even ha- say he's – I would say he's more of like a rookie of the year type of situation. Uh, the guys he's beaten don't, in my opinion, uh, put him in that category. Kevin Holland, um, if he beat Jacare, had it been within this year, he's someone that you definitely could have thrown into the mix. But it's got to be Figueredo, and I still think he wins this fight. But Moreno may surprise people. Dude's tough. Very, very tough. Agreed. I like this card. Knock on wood. Everyone remains healthy. It could stay intact as is. But uh, point for this round, as we head into the final question, goes to Jed Mishu. He's up two to one. And I cannot believe that this is the, this is a thing, gentlemen. But we're going to talk about it. I, I guess I understand why it's a thing, but I still can't believe it's a thing. Floyd Mayweather announced on Sunday that he's returning to the boxing ring. And no, he's not fighting Conor McGregor again or Manny Pacquiao again or anybody like that. He is fighting Logan Paul in an exhibition bout on February 20th. This is a thing. It has got social media buzzing. So we might as well talk about it, Ian Parker. What do you make of this whole thing? Floyd Mayweather, a man people around the boxing community consider as one of, if not the greatest boxer of all time, 50-0, 
Now he's boxing a YouTube celebrity in Logan Paul. How did you react to this news? What do you think of it? I don't get it. I mean, listen, you know, ah, man, look for Logan Paul, this makes a ton of sense. Uh, As you know, as we mentioned off air and I'll mention it again here, the Paul brothers have done a listen as much as I think they're a bunch of kind of, you know, assholes that think the rules don't apply to them. They've done a tremendous job translating that YouTube, that TikTok, social media following into sales. I mean, Jake Paul selling what he did against uh, Nate Robinson on the Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. card. The amount of numbers that did was absolutely wild, you know? And I think for someone in Logan Paul, the guy just knows how to sell his brand. And I have no idea how he convinced Floyd Mayweather's camp and agency or whoever it is to do this or if it was Floyd himself. I mean, there's a huge size difference here. And I just think there's so much at risk for Floyd Mayweather here. You know, how much money is he really getting paid for this? Could he not have gotten the same amount or more to fight someone who's actually a boxer in his weight class that he could have beaten? And we're like, all right, you know what? He's got that competition hunger back because it's an exhibition. If he loses, you know, and I'm not saying he's going to lose. This is the best defensive boxer of all time. But Jake, but Logan Paul is a pretty big dude. Like he stands up next to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Doesn't look that he's not a small guy. And we're talking about a collegiate wrestler, high school wrestler, but he's also boxing. You know, KSI, another YouTube guy, and he and he lost there. So for me, is this what this world's coming to? People don't even realize that Anthony Josh was fighting this weekend. But we're talking about YouTube versus Mayweather, and it's wild to me that this is what sells in this day and age. But you know what? These guys, these social media influencers that can back up the talk. I'm not saying he's going to beat Mayweather, but Jake Paul spars people. Logan Paul spars. We saw him against Paul Costa in a training session. He didn't look half bad. You know, like I said, that wrestling pedigree probably kept him afloat. This uh, this sucks, though, in regards to the credibility, I think, towards boxing. You know, this isn't like Hulk Hogan versus Rocky Balboa and Rocky, what was it, two with Thunderlips versus the Italian Stallion where, you know, it was a show, this is going to be real. I don't think Logan Paul is just going to want to get knocked out. I don't think Mayweather is going to want to lose. This is not a Tyson versus Jones Jr. where you have two legends going at it. We want to see where they're at in their 50s because they took it seriously. To me, this is a circus. This is what – this. you know what? But for the year 2020, even though it's going to happen past it, it makes complete sense. Um, Jed's going to probably rip this shit apart. There's no doubt, rightfully so, from your end. But – uh Man, this is a very weird situation. I'm surprised if anything to get Floyd Mayweather out of retirement, this is the one. I don't get it. I will never understand it. Like I said, my biggest point here is if he wanted this for money, he could have made more, in my opinion, fighting another popular boxer that he could beat. This one's just very weird to me. Jed, you have been maybe the biggest advocate I know for the out-of-the-box combat sports events. These things make you happy more often than not. But this, does this make you happy? Did you immediately get off the couch, go to your February 2021 calendar, circle the 20th and write Mayweather versus Paul in big, huge letters with exclamation points? What do you think of this whole thing? Well, no, I'm not going to watch this. Um, like I, I was super in uh, to watch the Tyson-Roy Jones fight just because I, I didn't have high expectations, but I was interested to see what it would look like, frankly. Um, and those are like legitimately well-credentialed, well-pedigreed fighters. Uh, this is, this is money grab, uh, plain and simple. No, you know, good for them. Get paid, get, keep getting them checks, boys. Uh, you know, Ian asked, I'm not sure why Floyd Mayweather's doing it. 
you know, I remember reading a story at one point about how uh, Bill Gates makes so much money like per minute that if you walk past a $20 bill on the ground, it's actually not worth his time to bend down and pick it up. But he still would because it's free 20 bucks. I mean, Floyd is just doing this because this is free money. There's less than 0% chance Logan Paul beats him. Like there is just not a world in which it exists outside of Floyd betting a lot of money on Logan Paul at these outrageous odds and defrauding everybody the fight will look like however floyd wants it to he'll frankly probably carry logan paul a little bit uh i would say the same way he did with connor to stoke interest in him doing other exhibition bouts against other people that he doesn't have to try or care about but is at no risk of losing and just gets another 10 million dollars or whatever because logan paul gives people to view man people tune in to watch him i don't but he's a little too young for me I uh, was not part of the generation that, you know, that's a guy who speaks to me, but plenty of people are, and he has the ability to monetize their interest in him and specifically monetize their interest in him in this boxing context. Like I got text messages from my friends saying, so Logan Paul's going to box Floyd Mayweather. And I mean, they may or may not tune in. I can't, I don't know if they will or not. This is less, less appealing, I think than Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr., but it still certainly has a broad appeal to a lot of people. Good for them. It has no appeal to me. I know exactly how this fight will go. Um, so if maybe if the undercard has something that's a little more interesting, but to me, I am frankly a little more confused on why Logan Paul took this fight because Logan Paul, I think Logan Paul is going to get to box Connor. And we talked about this. Logan Paul might very well be able to outbox uh, Connor's dude, whose name I can't remember right now. What? Dylan Dennis. Yeah, Dylan Dennis. That's right. I forgot him because he's useless. Uh, and you can quote me on that. Um, but he, pro- like, frankly, could probably outbox Dylan Dennis. And if he did that, it sets up a huge boxing fight with Connor McGregor that would make way more money than this fight with Floyd. And that fight still might not go away, even if he loses to Floyd. But uh, I think the big. The big thing that no one is talking about. I don't have any confidence that this isn't total bullshit anyway. Like Floyd just said it was happening. This might not happen. Like I think it's 50-50 that this is real and not just a total farce. Like the first time Floyd posted posters was like, yeah, me and Connor are going to fight. And then a year later, they finally did. I have zero expectation this is actually going to happen. Well, uh, let me just say, if – if that is the case, then Floyd has hired a, a public relations team to, to yeah. join in on the farce here because there are the right. press releases. They're, they're taking this thing seriously. Yeah. Like it's actually happening. And unfortunately you made a, a decent point on like unbeknownst to you, you're, you're getting the Paul brothers confused here, Jed. That's what I, was gonna, I was just going to say that. Just oh, going to say yeah, that. Jake. Yeah. You, oh, yeah. You got to say one. No, it's no, not the same one. one. It's his older brother. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, see now you're really definitely not going to watch it. Jake Jake Paul has got a history. Jake Paul has a history. Would make more sense, right? Yeah, right. Listen, Jake Paul has a history with Dylan Dennis because apparently Jake Paul used to bang his girlfriend or something like that, and they had some issues, whatever it was, over social media, all sorts of bullshit. But yeah, no, it's the it's the wrong Paul brother. This is the one with the Paul brother who just bolted no. Nate Robinson. No, oh, this is, is the why in God's name are we doing this? 
Now that's okay. <laughs> that's that's, what, really that's why I'm saying to it you, stupider than I thought. And I thought well, it was I very. Think I, should get a, I think I should get that point because he wasn't even talking about the right Paul brother. But at the same time, yeah. though, maybe he should because they both don't deserve this clout to begin with in the boxing world. But uh, you know, the real the reality is here is that Jake Paul it wants to fight Dylan Dennis. Logan Paul just lost to another YouTube star, and now he's getting a Mayweather fight. So I have no idea. Oh. Want to be clear? I had no idea that the guy who lost <laughs> in that other box. I thought that it was the same dude. Uh, didn't realize that. Um, so totally with you. You give him the point. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> You're a good sport. Well, I, have, good sport. I have absolutely zero. Like I thought it made zero sense before. It really makes no sense if this dude has already lost a boxing match. Why in God's green earth would he possibly be boxing? one of the best defensive fighters of all time. Like Floyd could literally fight him one hand, like could literally tie his left hand behind him and still win this fight comfortably. What a waste of everyone's time. Don't give these people your money. (laughs) Here's, here's some interesting things that I've seen literally on Twitter over the last 24 hours. This is good for boxing because it puts more eyeballs on the sport. Seen this many, many times. And there is probably some truth only to the latter, okay? I don't think this is good for boxing, no. but it does put eyeballs on, okay? The other thing is get ready to no, see a whole work. bunch more of these fights moving forward. And I ask you, Dad, do you believe this? Because if this is, as the kids say, a shoot, Floyd Mayweather is going to beat six shades of shit out of this guy. And sure, Logan's going to make a good chunk of change, and Floyd will probably carry him a little bit. Exhibition or not, Floyd is going to run through this guy with more than relative ease, right? Like, like how will people be hankering for more of this if what's supposed to happen actually happens on February 20th? I mean, no one's going to be hankering for more of this exact fight. They'll watch other fights. Like, look, the primary purpose of, of combat sports is not to figure out who the best fighter is. It's how to make money by entertaining people like that people want to pay money for this. So by definition, it's fine. Uh, I don't think this is good for boxing. I don't think it's bad for boxing. I think this is a net zero for boxing because unless they put like real pro boxing prospects on the undercard, there's no benefit to boxing the sport. This is just, Hey, let's give Floyd Mayweather a admittedly terrible person, a big bag of money. Um, and I think this Paul brother, if this is the one I'm thinking of, is also not a great person. But now I'm confused, <laughs> so I won't definitively say I'm that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think he might. Not, I mean, he's not a great person. I'm not sure. But either way, like, I mean, yeah, you're right, Mike. <laughs> this fight is only going to go one way. If Floyd carries him, maybe this is all just a plan to set up a fight between the other Paul brother and Floyd <laughs> because the other Paul brother has at least knocked somebody out before. I don't know. Like, if people want to tune in and spend their money on it, good for them, I guess. Uh, and I'm sure you are right and more like this will happen. And I'm totally in on watching like weird celebrity boxing matches. Uh, I'm yes. way less in on watching like in the same way that I don't want to go watch Rob Lowe like try to tackle Derrick Henry because there's no freaking purpose to watch that. Like I don't need to see <laughs> celebrity boxers take on real fighters. But, like, yeah, I mean, Nate Robinson versus Logan Paul, sure. Like, those are not those are not the same thing. But, I, you know, 
I what you didn't mean, you didn't like Dustin Diamond versus Danny Bonaducci like ten years ago? Yeah, that's fine. Exactly. That's, right. that's no, but this totally is fine. but but here's the thing though, right? And you made a good point. So I'm going to piggyback what you and Mike just said here is that this because of the way the world is with social media, these guys have really monopolized the space between YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever the hell else it is, right? These guys, especially the, the Paul brothers, I'm going to do that so I don't confuse you with the which, which brothers which, right? One of them's got a vanilla ice look, the other one's got Justin Bieber, whatever. You know, it's more along the lines of they've been able to elevate and adapt to the different platforms. And because the way, like you said, they're able to monetize, they have found a new platform because they both actually do have athletic backgrounds with wrestling, boxing-ish, and by getting big names like a Floyd Mayweather and being on a card like Tyson and Jones, if they themselves want to have their own promotion and do these somewhat internet celebrities into this thing, they have found a true moneymaker here. And maybe they're setting themselves up to be the stars of their own promotion. Now, if they did it that way, that would make more sense to me because then it doesn't hurt boxing or make a mockery of it because you don't see celebrity MMA. You don't see social media MMA. Outside of that show, Bully Beatdown, back in the day with Jason Mayhem Miller, you know, you don't see that for the reason of they probably look at MMA with grappling and all that stuff. Such a difference, but everyone's got a puncher's chance in boxing. You know, I don't know if they're giving Floyd Mayweather the usual money he's making. Maybe he just thinks this is going to be so easy. Or maybe to your point, this shit really doesn't happen because this, this Paul brother is like 150 pounds more than Floyd Mayweather. The other one who just fought Nate Robinson – way closer in size. That's why I'm also really, really confused. Why Mayweather would be willing to risk fighting a guy that much bigger who is athletic. I'm not saying he's going to lose, but, you know, this shit's just getting more weird by the moment. All right. We talked about it. All right. We talked about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it again close to February 20th if this thing actually happens. But it is my, my hope that we don't talk about it again for at least a couple months. Honestly, hopefully we don't have to talk about it ever again. But uh, no surprise you here. Go ahead. Charge of the show, Mike. You get to dictate what we do and don't talk about. It's very true. We're the, we are trendsetters after all, but we had to mention this. But uh, as no surprise here, this matchup will continue due to Jed's lack of pop culture knowledge. Surprise, surprise. We're going to head to the knockout round. One question decides it all. Neither competitor knows what this question is. They're each going to have 60 seconds to answer. After that is done, the pressure is off my shoulders this week, thank God. We'll go over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, in the truck, E. Casey Lydon, and he will render the final decision. Jed, I have no other way of doing this, so pick a number between 1 and 30. 8. Ian? 7. 12 is the number. You, you did. If you said nine, you would have had it, Ian. But Jed, you get to go. You have the the option here. You have the champion option. You can decide whether you want to answer this question first, or do you want to pass it on over to Ian Parker? Um, I suppose I will pass, and I'll, I'll take the I'll take the second. All right. The hours so way Ian, out, but I'm gonna take it. Well, listen, it's the champion option here. So, Ian. And Jed are both fans of uh, playing the pony, so to speak. So we're going to invoke a little of that into our final question. This year, Ian Parker, and we still have one more chance this Saturday, but as of now in 2020, not one UFC champion has lost their title in a fight. We've had titles vacated, 
We haven't had a challenger go into the octagon, defeat a champion, and take their title. So we're going to play a little game of over-under, and I would like you to elaborate as best you can, both of you gentlemen. But I'm going to set the line at two and a half, Ian Parker. Based on your opinion, will we see over or under two and a half current UFC champions lose their titles in 2021? This is fun, but it's a quick kind of on your feet kind of question because you got to think of who the champions are and so forth and so on. So do you have a, do you have a follow-up, Ian? Are you ready? Yeah, who are, the, who are the champions even defending after this weekend because the card's been switched? Outside of Figueroa, who's fighting next week that's defending their title? Nobody. So this is the, this is the last chance that happens in 2020. So 2021, we're looking at, it's a clean slate, but these champions are going to go into 2021. Two and a half is the over-under number. How many of those titles will, will be lost? So we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. For next year, for 2021, I'm going to say under here. I don't see anyone beating anybody in the division right now. You know, I think Figueroa is going to hold on to it. I think uh, Stipe holds on. I, I think he defends once a year. He ended it all. So if he doesn't vacate, there's part of your under right there. Israel Adesanya is not losing the middleweight belt anytime soon. If he beats Jan Bohovic, there's the one. I don't think anyone's beating Usman anytime soon in that division. And at 55, if Khabib really comes back, I don't see anyone beating him, you know, and we don't know who the champion's going to be then if Khabib does vacate the title. If he does, and it's Connor versus Dustin, I think if Dustin wins, um, you know, that's an interesting, that, that division to me would be the only one that's really open that would change. You know, 45 right now, it's a tough one. And 35, again, you know, we have a situation where there is no champ. I think if Aljermaine Sterling versus Yad happens and Aljo wins, I don't know who's beating him in the bottom, in the top five anytime soon. I really love Aljo there. All right. That was harder than I thought it was going to be. Shit. Welcome to Between the Links, Ian Parker. Welcome to you. Dude. Like Welcome it. I like the, the pressure. I like the pressure. Je- All right, Jed. Here we go. You had a little more time to think about this. Over or under two and a half champions will lose their titles in the UFC in 2021. Well, Your time first I'd now. like to say... I'm really glad that Casey's back because you can't be trusted and you make terrible decisions. So I no longer have to be concerned with your bad choices. So that's a win for everybody. Uh, as far as your question, I am smashing the over. I think Jan is gone. Aljo taking the belt from him. Stipe, gone. Whoever he fights, be it John Jones or Francis Ngannou or even Curtis Blade, taking the title from him. I think Izzy's probably going to be forced to vacate the uh, middleweight belt after he takes the light heavyweight belt from Jan Blachowicz. So there's another one. Habib's going to actually retire, leave the sport, and that lightweight title is going to start doing a round robin amongst contenders. Uh, I think featherweight's probably safe. Most of the women's titles are safe unless Amanda Nunes decides she wants to walk away from the sport. But the coup de grace, the piece de resistance, Leon Edwards, Breakout fighter of 2021. He's going to beat Hamzat Shemaev. He's going to take the welterweight title from Kamara Usman, just like I'm about to get my belt back from Al Shadi. All right. Well, listen, before we... uh... Yeah, I got a question. I got a question about his response. And I just want to make sure I understood this. You said that vacating did not count as a title change, if I'm correct. So if you take away all those vacates that Jed just said, I think only one champion out of all that wins apparently according to jed yeah. seven people are vacating their title he <laughs> yeah, said Stipe, Jan, and usman are all done and you said I, 55 was gonna be a round robin of new champions 
So there yeah, are vacants. So if, if, if we're adding vacates, <laughs> if we're adding vacates, Jed said like nine titles are going to change. Yeah, we're that's it, yeah. <laughs> oh man! But listen, here's the thing about the show: you can interpret things how you want. I don't give a shit. But it's not my decision to make, anyways, which is beautiful. So Casey might <laughs> might have heard the question a different way. But before we turn it over to Casey, I do want to make mention since it wasn't brought up on the show at all. Bellator does have an event on Thursday, headlined by Alima Leigh McFarlane defending her title against Juliana Velasquez. That is a very good fight. Juliana Velasquez has been waiting for a title shot for like a decade now. We'll also see the, oh, I got to think about this, Bellator debuts for Magomed Magomedov. Nate Andrews from PFL is going to take on uh, Yamauchi, so that should be a fun one. But I know we didn't have a Bellator question this week, but I did want to make mention for the MMA fans who may not be aware because... Some folks aren't. Bellator 254 is going down on Thursday. But now we turn it over to Casey, the judge. You've heard the arguments. How do you rule in this matchup, sir? <laughs> Very good arguments on both sides, gentlemen. We had one under, one over. I see what both of you are saying. I made my decision. Your winner this week, mostly because he kissed my ass, Jed Mishu. Ah. Oh. oh. See, Ian, you, you, it's your first time on. You're going to learn from this experience and realize that in the lightning round, you got to suck up to Casey. It is. Yeah, you it, used it, a good 28 seconds. Of really, uh, 28 seconds you were kissing his ass. I was like, I think he forgot about the clock. Casey, you know, look, I was going to give you all that love after because I wasn't aware that's how you guys played over here at this site, but now I get it. So on the rematch, I'm just not going to answer a fucking thing. I'm just going to go and read your bio and just be like, no, I'm kidding. I'm a fan of this. No, look, to, uh, all jokes aside, Mike Heck and I go way back and he knows I've been a big fan of this site for a long time. I think you guys do. Really great work. You keep everything very fresh. And, you know, a lot of, I will say, one of the hardest things about being an MMA journalist is really finding, uh, I guess I want to say your your way. And I talk to Mike all the time how a lot of it, in my opinion, gets recycled. But I think you guys do a great job. Casey, you've always done a great job. Jed, I appreciate what you bring to the table. It's funny with, you know, with your writing, you know, and I've read a bunch of your articles, but when I get to talk to you face to face, I can't tell what you're thinking half the time. It's good poker face. I like, you really don't want to be here. You just woke up or that's your excitement level. You know, I haven't really figured that part out yet, but, but no, but you're, you're, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we're the adversary to say the least. So Mike, I appreciate you having me on, uh, Casey, I, you know, now that I know how you roll that you, uh, you know, that in order to uh, get that split to see, you know, you're like the fucking Chris Lee of this show. How do you like that? I don't think so. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. You're way better than that. Jed's compliments were very sweet, so I understand. They were very nice. I get it. So, uh, no, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And uh, I don't mind losing to a worthy competitor. That was ridiculous. I, I curse a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jed, it's like, uh, Jed, he's planting seeds for the rematch. He's taking your uh, your championship time here. No, you know, you, know you, you don't get any money. You don't get a title. But uh, you do earn a title shot with the with the win. You get your rematch with Mr. Alshadi, hopefully next week. But uh, you also get 30 seconds to wax poetically about whatever it is you want to talk about. Good, bad, and different in the sport of MMA or whatever you want to talk about. The floor is yours, sir. 
Look, I, I may not give El Shadi a shot at my title next week. He's a bum and we all know it. So I'll let him chew on that for a little while and make him earn it to come back. Maybe against Ian, you know, a really worthy and formidable competitor. Uh, with the remainder of my time, I guess I will just say uh, 2020 has been a very difficult year for a lot of people and we are wrapping it up. Uh, so thank you all for, I'm going to steal, steal Jose's bit here and say thanks everybody for um, continuing to bear with us, you know, tune in to the show, listen to the podcast, read all the stuff we're doing. We're still putting out a ton of content for you guys. We really appreciate uh, one of the hate that comes my way. Totally okay with that as well. Um, and we hope that 2021 can be a little bit better and maybe we can not have to talk about fights changing every other second from COVID. So stay safe and happy holidays. Wow, a baby face turn from Jed Mishu. I dig I it. Just... I dig it. <laughs> Keep them on their toes. They never know what's You're, coming. No, you you are you are something special, man. You're like everyone hates me, but happy holidays. I hope you guys all do well. <laughs> Fuck that Tiger King sequel. Like, come on, you totally you left the door. I'm like, I'm like what? What the hell? Who the hell is that? I was like, I'm changing my, I'm changing my, I'm changing my card. <laughs> like the duck wins. <laughs> That's, that's what I'm saying, Casey. Casey, I always feel I like you, bro. Oh, man. Well, listen, I, I mimic what Jed says. Well said. And uh, what better way to wrap up the show? So thank you all very much for watching and or listening this week. We'll see you back next week. We'll do it all over again. Between the links, we wrap up, put a bow on the final pay-per-view of the year for Jed Bashu, for Ian Parker, Casey Lydon on the production. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you out. We'll see you back here next week once again between the links. Good night, everybody. Coming for you, Alshadi. This has been Between the Links with your host, Mike Heck. Brought to you by MMA Fighting, a production of Vox Media. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.